over the time, over years, the sadness accumulates more and more. And at first, the body may be able to take some sadness. Bodies are smart, right? They are very adaptable. Our body takes a little sadness and it's like, okay, we can make room for this sadness. We'll just leave it here, maybe around our stomach, maybe around our chest, wherever there's space. And the body then takes another heap of sadness and another heap of sadness and another heap of sadness over years, over 30, 40 years, let's say. So much sadness. And there comes to a point where your body's like, I can't take anymore. (laughs) I am at capacity. And that's when it starts breaking down. It can't take anymore. It can't function. It's created blocks. Every time we take a heap of sadness and we're not doing anything about it and we're not healing it, it creates a small block. One block starts affecting the other. So let's say there's a block of sadness in um, the gut, So that can easily affect, you know, someone's liver, gallbladder, intestines, maybe it creates poor digestion, sadness and anger, especially with women, it contributes heavily towards our hormonal imbalances. Typically that's seen as PCOS and that's so common these days. Yes, it can be managed with uh, taking pills or whatnot. I took pills for like seven to 10 years, something like that. For what condition? Uh, For PCOS. I had it myself. When you're taking any sort of Western medicine long term, it does have an effect on your body. And that is Corey Chu, and you're listening to The Interested Podcast. I'm your host, Donna Edda. Interested is a result of my curiosity to explore more on our collective wellness wisdom. And that goes from physical to cognitive to emotional health to spirituality. This podcast is my attempt to bring nourishing conversations to help you live a higher quality, more fulfilling life. My guest today is Corey Chu. She is a Hong Kong born, Los Angeles raised Reiki master teacher and intuitive energy healer. She left her fast-paced job as a publicist in Hollywood and replanted herself in Hong Kong where she runs her own practice in Soho. Now I've been curious about this form of energy healing but stayed cautious as I don't really understand how it works and I've heard one or two dodgy stories. So when we were introduced to each other, I was excited to have the opportunity to explore what this is all about. I felt comfortable with Corey immediately. She is warm and open She is straight up, no BS, and doesn't hard sell what she does. Before we sat down for this interview, I asked her to take me through one of her intuitive energy healing treatments, as I just needed to experience it to know if it works or not. And without going into too much details, in our short 10-minute session, Corey scanned my body, identified an emotional block, and told me exactly what I needed to hear at that very moment, to move forward in my personal healing. It was quite powerful because I'm good at putting on a happy face and ignoring my shadow side. So when Corey spoke those words and brought my emotions out in the open, it was truly an invitation to start the self-healing work. In this conversation, Corey walks us through the benefits of Reiki and intuitive energy healing, and shows us how these therapies need not feel ethereal or intangible, but when understood properly, can actually be a real force for change. She talks about how unresolved emotions can block up our energy flow and manifest into physical health problems and mental health issues. She shares tips on how to choose the right practitioner in an unregulated industry. She describes what to expect from an energy healing session and why some people might even feel gas popping in their chest. I am so happy you can join me in this fascinating conversation. So without further ado, I bring you Corey Chu. So Reiki is a form of basic channeled energy healing. It is one of the safest and most popular forms of channeled energy healing. Um, it was discovered about a hundred years ago by a man named Dr. Makaya Yuzui. He had dedicated his entire life to wanting to find a natural healing system um, that he knew existed from olden times and really wanted to rediscover that so that more people 
can have the option to apply self-healing whenever they'd like. What is intuitive healing then? Intuitive healing is, yeah, a blend of um, advanced energy healing therapies. And it's also channeled energy healing, just in more advanced form. It's more specific to the individual and their needs. So Reiki, you can see it as like taking a Panadol. And of course, it's going to help you feel better. But Reiki also heals on a holistic level, right? And so what I'm saying, when I say holistic, I mean, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and energetically. So it does a little bit more than a Panadol would. And so it also helps you feel a little bit more relaxed, more clear minded. What are the common conditions that people come in to see you for intuitive healing? Oftentimes, a lot of people who come in and that I've had the pleasure of working with uh, have had, unfortunately, chronic illnesses and diseases, such as different types of cancers, um, chronic fatigue, adrenal fatigue, gut disorders, uh, chronic pain and discomfort, such as frozen shoulders or people with chronic issue, uh, chronic injuries, like constantly rolling their ankles or, you know, twisting their ankles and not really realizing why. So why is that? (laughs) Um, Sometimes a very subconscious process from a metaphysical point of view, when we, we have these kind of like ankle issues or lower, uh, lower body issues with the leg, it might hint towards us not wanting to move forward and feeling uncertain in life. And so subconsciously we might be thinking about something and not realizing, oh, we're actually weighing options or we're doing like a pros and cons list in our head or we're thinking from a more fear-based perspective. So especially if it's a chronic issue, like obviously if it's a one-off or, you know, if you hurt yourself during playing sports or something like that's totally different. But if it's a chronic incident, then yeah, there's something to look there. So how do you address that? Say that person came in uh, because they have a chronic issue with their ankle and they keep rolling it and keep hurting it. I would have a conversation with them and figure out, you know, if there are any significant experiences, trying to get like a brief histories um, so that I can see if there are any patterns there and also any emotional patterns, let's say. Is that person being wishy-washy about changing their career or dating someone, getting married or, you know, something like that, right? And first of all, like, I think bringing it up creates some sort of awareness and and for that person to see if that resonates, right? And then working on, on releasing that emotion and then injecting more positive frequencies. So if it's fear, then a counter- a fear would be love. And so maybe it's channeling that vibration of a very strong love frequency into that person's body. And if that person accepts, then they're willing to invite more love in their body. My question, I guess, for any of your listeners is, is there something that's continuously reoccurring in your life that bothers you? The ultimate question when you ask like that I find people asking themselves is why does this keep happening to me? If this keeps happening to you, then there's something for you to look at. There is some sort of life lesson there for you to look more deeply into. So then you can try to actually solve it rather than swear at life or swear at a God or, (laughs) or like blame this person or that, or that situation for not having a better outcome because at the end of the day, we are responsible for ourselves and who we are. And it's our job to heal, to look for healing for ourselves because no one else is going to do that for us. Absolutely. I totally agree. (laughs) You know, some other conditions, uh, just to continue, I mentioned earlier the heart attacks. So people with heart conditions do come in as well. Um, That's a little bit more dire dire. I've worked with people with strokes who have had strokes and are still healing from that. Um, People with digestive issues and disorders such as irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, um, mental health issues such as depression, chronic anxiety, health anxiety, um, bipolar disorder. I've had 
A lot more people come in in 2020 because of COVID and anxiety around COVID. When we are in a state of stress, when we're not in the right minds, it's going to affect people around us, right? And so we don't want to transfer that anxiety to other people. Yeah, I I did see more people with some um, some sort of like health anxiety um, related to COVID in the last year, insomnia. Um, A lot of people, I work with a lot of people who have... Um, been victims of narcissism, uh, which is a really tough one, narcissistic abuse. People who are healing. uh, Can you talk more about that? What kind of struggles are they dealing with and what are usually the stepping stones for them to get better? People who have had, who have had to deal with narcissists um, have taken quite an emotional beating. They were probably gaslit, bullied in some way. They were constantly told that they weren't good enough. It's more about just healing, 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 healing on an emotional level, really working on removing those negative emotions, the waste from all of that negative emotional, emotional abuse, neutralizing that and for that person to take ownership of themselves again so that they can feel, I am enough. I mean, that's a huge milestone to feel like you're enough. And again, just releasing those deep wounds, those moments, those those traumatic moments when there was very intense emotional abuse and supplementing that with the healing that they need, healing with positive emotions that are authentic. I'm not going to say like, you know, there's sort of like affirmations, I believe is a wonderful tool. But it just has to be done authentically, right? So if you say, I am perfect as I am, maybe you aren't there. Maybe you don't feel perfect. But when you keep saying, I am perfect as I am, I am perfect as I am, you know, faking it until you make it doesn't work here. Your body knows that you're lying. Your body knows that it's not authentic. Instead of saying, I am perfect as I am, saying, today I am enough. Just for now, I am enough. In that moment, your body can relax. It's yeah, not stress. It's probably much more real. Yeah, absolutely. And then what are the transition that you see when someone has dealt with that wound? It's so amazing. There's this woman who she really wasn't in a great state, okay? And she finally left that person. They got divorced. She lost so much weight because she was honestly releasing so much. By the way, emotional waste adds on weight into our body. She released so much. She healed. She she had the desire to take charge of herself. She started feeling empowered. She started, you know, wanting to train, work out twice a week, make better choices with food and not eat crap and She wanted to take care of herself. She wanted to take care of her body in every way. She needed to take a certain test, an exam, in order to move into the next level of her career. And for a long time, she was not willing to do it. She was scared. She was also told that she wasn't good enough and that she shouldn't, blah, 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 by that person that had um, been verbally abusing her. After a while, she took it and she finally got that promotion that she wanted. She's doing really well. I haven't seen her in a long time because I'm so happy to just be part of that beginning of her journey. I don't need to be there throughout the whole way. That is, you know, like energy healing is not something that needs to be done long term. It can be, you know, if it's like, if if that person feels like it's helpful to them, you could do, you know, a maintenance session once, a, you know, once a month or once a quarter, whatever, right? It's so amazing to see how a person flourishes. It really is just so great. It really is. How does it work? How does this energy healing work? It seems so, I don't know. La-di-da. Yes. <laughs> I hear you because when I first came across the concept, I thought it was utter bull. But when a baby is crying, a mother naturally wants to send 
love or whatever it is to help that baby feel better as soon as possible and wants to just embrace that baby with love. Let's say the baby's feeling better, right? And the mom's probably feeling a lot more relieved at this point, but she's probably depleted of energy because she actually gave her energy away to the baby. That is a natural occurrence of energy healing from one person to another. That's when we give our energy to someone. Of course, it's up to them to receive it, but we've offered that and we feel depleted and we now need to go into our own space, our own cave and try to replenish our own energy channeled energy healing is the concept of there being a reserve of energy from the universe. So imagine that there's like a power station in the universe and this power station opens up a certain amount of energy per day so that we can all live and be well. Um, but people who have been trained have an access key card to this power station you can just kind of see it as someone who works at a petrol station. Imagine I'm the person who's pumping gas into a car. Your body is the car. And there is a uh, natural supply of petrol uh, that's constantly being replenished from its reserves. Is there any scientific-based evidence on that energy concept? A lot of the conclusions that I've read from a lot of research papers is saying that there's just not enough evidence to draw a conclusion whether Reiki works or not. The best I've seen is that it's better than a placebo effect. I've seen with cancer journals how cancer patients in the test groups um, do feel that there is a positive effect from Reiki, but there's still so much that hasn't been discovered yet. There's still so much that needs to be researched. But what I can tell you is that actions do speak louder than words. A lot of Ivy League universities that have affiliated hospitals, such as Duke, Yale, Johns Hopkins, which is like literally one of the first ones, they started introducing Reiki to their patients. You can now get Reiki in major hospitals and a lot of major hospitals in the States because they do feel like it works. It is an option now as an alternative treatment to receive Reiki along with your chemo and along with whatever treatments that you may be getting at major U.S. hospitals. How can Reiki help in the hospital situation environment? Reiki um, specifically does help with alleviating pain. Um, it's very supportive of uh, recovery from post-surgeries and operations and such, um, post-chemo, post-radiation. Uh, one of the major reasons that it's used um, is because of pain management. Are we approaching the pain receptors or is actual physical healing occurring? Um, so it heals on, again, a holistic level, right? So it's providing relief to your mental well-being. So it's calming down the nerves that are telling your pain receptors, hey, it's okay. It doesn't hurt as much. We, we can do this. And there's actually some very supportive energies that's coming through and making it less painful. It's helping us on an emotional level because we don't feel maybe as much pain. And in fact, we might feel relaxed and calm through the Reiki. Helps on the physical level because uh, we're speeding up our recovery process. And spiritually, if if that's relevant, let's say, but uh, that's a nice little bonus. If you feel like, oh, I'm having a hard time trusting that I will heal. And sometimes we just need a little extra faith or uh, we haven't tapped into our own consciousness in a while. Uh, maybe it reconnects us so that we can feel like, oh, okay, I can do this. I can, I can handle this. The other point that I do want to also mention is that not even just in the States, but the public healthcare system in the UK, the NHS, offers Reiki to their patients. There isn't enough research that, that has shown that there are positive aspects of Reiki or how effective it is. It is, but it makes me wonder what's not shared, what hasn't been published yet. And I think it's really exciting to, to see what's going to come through 
and even Chinese medicine. It's been around for thousands of years, right? And only in the recent few decades, it's been more recognized. It's been more integrative. If traditional Chinese medicine has come this far, only you know, in a few thousand years, you know, we'll take a number and wait for Reiki. <laughs> I guess it all comes down to the funding, right? You need the funding to make those research. And, totally. You know, if the funding is not there, we don't and get those interest, numbers. Right. So you focus a lot on unresolved emotions manifesting into health problems mm. and mental health problems. Yeah. Um, can you talk about what happens to our body when this happens? Let's take like a typical caregiver, someone who's constantly taking care of people, putting people before themselves, whether it's at home, typically that would be a mother, at work, it might be like an admin assistant or someone who's in a very supportive role of uh, management, they take on so much, you know, they're a little bit more invisible. They help so tremendously that a lot of people overlook them. And so often they're also not being recognized. And I'm not saying that all caregivers give love or give something to receive, right? But um, it'd be nice, right, to be appreciated. And so let's say over time, this person um, who's in a caregiver role is constantly taking a lot on, may also be experiencing a lot of challenges in his or, home, uh, his or her own life that creates maybe a lot of sadness, okay? And over the time, over years, the sadness accumulates more and more. And at first, the body may be able to take some sadness and be like, okay, like bodies are smart, right? They can, they, they are very adaptable. Our body takes a little sadness and it's like, okay, we can make room for this sadness. We'll just leave it here, maybe around our stomach, maybe around our chest, wherever there's space. And the body then takes another heap of sadness and another heap of sadness and another heap of sadness over years, over 30, 40 years, let's say. So much sadness. And there comes to a point where your body's like, I can't take anymore. <laughs> I am at capacity. And that's when it starts breaking down. It can't take anymore. It can't function. It's created blocks. Every time we take a heap of sadness and we're not doing anything about it and we're not healing it, it creates a small block. One block starts affecting the other. So let's say there's a block of sadness in um, the gut so that can easily affect, you know, someone's liver, gallbladder, um, the intestines, maybe it creates poor digestion, sadness and anger, especially with women, it contributes heavily towards our hormonal imbalances. And typically that's seen as PCOS. And that's so common these days. Yes, it can be managed with uh, taking pills or whatnot, I took pills for, you know, not know, knowing better. I think I took the pills for like seven to 10 years, something like that. For what condition? Uh, for PCOS. I had it myself. I uh, met a wonderful woman named Jenny and she uh, started talking about the side effects of taking pills for too long and stuff like that. It was so interesting because it made me realize, wow, okay, like, yes, we're so prone to going to... Western med medicine, when you're taking any sort of Western medicine long-term, it does have an effect on your body, right? There are side effects. And so I personally didn't want this anymore. And so I went off of it. Um, what were the side effects? Definitely moodiness. Uh, moodiness. Uh, sometimes you might get more like hair growth. I didn't have this, but some people did. And migraines. You do get regular periods, but they do shorten. There's actually quite a few. So what was the advantage of taking the medication then? How did it help? Regulation of your period so that you can uh, regulate your hormones better. And that was a wonderful quick fix, especially during university. <laughs> um, I think it was free too, because it was covered in my insurance or whatnot. And so I didn't really think about it for a long time. And I was just like, oh, okay, I'll just keep taking the pill. It's nice to have regular periods and know exactly when it'll come and, you know, not have a wild card. <laughs> Are you comfortable with sharing what 
caused PCOS in your personal yeah, life? Yeah, it's fine. It was definitely an, also for me an accumulation of um, anger and sadness. Um, and so that's been, uh, it, it took me a while to really From understand. From the childhood? Uh, just kind of throughout lifetime. It's taken quite a bit of healing on myself also to release moments that contributed to that anger and sadness. All in all, in general, just really try to release those suppressed emotions because before I tend to use those emotions to create what we talked earlier about a driving force so that we can go ahead and endure and do more. And But it, it took me a while to understand, wow, it's actually not so healthy. What did you try and what worked for you? What finally helped you deal with those? Honestly, without being biased for me, it was my own emotional energy release. I worked on myself. I also worked with my mentor and it really helped me understand um, so much more and I and it helped me release so much. I've done more in the recent months, let's say, than I have in the last, wow, when did I get it? at least 10 years of having PCOS? And that's just a personal experience. Can you share a moment in that journey that caused all this sadness and anger? and how you processed it? Wow. There's been quite a few. And I don't want to talk about this as if it's like I'm victimizing myself. I don't feel that way. But one of the significant moments, um, when I was younger, there was a giant fire that was across the street from our house and my parents were not in town. Um, And I was being taken care of by my uncle, um, grandma and cousin who didn't speak English and we were living in the States at the time and my uncle could drive, but he was just visiting town. So he didn't really know where we were going or what the backup plan was. And in that moment, I jumped in really without thinking and started delegating. Okay, we need to do this. We, I was like maybe eight at the time. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, I just was like, okay, let's call my parents. Let's see like what we can do. And my parents were freaking out over the phone. They're like, can't believe this is happening. Okay. Can you go to our friend's house, our auntie's house? And you know, they, that's like a little further away. And, and they were like, can you, you know, guide your uncle and figure out how to get there and blah, blah, blah. And you know, we, you know, we got there, we made it safe. Luckily, like our house didn't burn down. The firemen came in time and all was well. Definitely a bit traumatic uh, in that sense, but I was running on adrenaline (laughs) and I didn't quite understand how big of an impact that it had on me. Even though I realized, okay, like everyone's safe, we're safe, we're good. I didn't quite know how to process that as a as a kid, right? It wasn't until later I realized, wow, like that really created a lot of fear in my body, which I had no idea that it was even that significant. In my mind, you know, we we went through it, we came out safe, we're good. That's all. Like, you know, I don't really have anything to worry about. There's no need to live in that moment anymore. So I've had a few of these type of occurrences happen, uh, whether it was a fire or robbery or a break into the house or, you know, like things like that. So many weird things happen in this world, right? Um, and yeah, like I didn't realize that contributed a lot of fear, a lot of sadness because I always felt alone. And that's also something I recognize with a lot of caregivers, And I use, and I keep using the caregiver as an example, partially because it's personal, but also because 90% of the people who walk through my studio are some sort of caregivers. And so it's that feeling of wanting to be taken care of, wanting to just like, I don't want to decide. I don't want to have to take charge. Can someone take the lead for once? Can someone mandate the situation for once? You know, can I kind of just hang back? And 
I started talking about real-time healing recently with someone because as a person who was in that situation, who was just kind of like taking the instructions, they're able to process a little bit more. What do you mean about taking the instructions? But let's say I once was traveling with someone who uh, had chronic anxiety and something kind of similar happened. And in that situation, that person just really needed to breathe and calm herself down and just figure out a way to be a little bit more mindful. But it doesn't actually solve what was actually going on, right? And so I, again, jumped in and... You know, in that in that particular situation, I won't get into the details. We had to call the police. The police came. We had to work with the police, but she really needed to just like be in the car and you know take care of herself, right? And so, when you're in a caregiver role, you're just out doing what is necessary, right? Whereas the people who were also part of that experience, um, sometimes they're able to take in that moment sooner than us because they're realizing what is actually going on. Whereas caregivers tend to run on adrenaline and we just do what is necessary. So we don't quite process the emotions as, uh, in real time. Um, what I found is that we have this delayed emotional response that let's say everyone is again well and good and fine and safe and we can finally sit on our sofa or bed and be like, holy shit, can I swear here? Holy shit, (laughs) I cannot believe that just happened. Holy shit. And you might even just start feeling everything that you didn't feel in that time. And in my opinion, I think it comes back like tenfold you feel it in such a massive way because without realizing you started holding and supporting other people throughout that process. And that might not just be one person. It might be 10 people. It might be 20 people, right? I think uh, caregivers tend to experience a delayed response of emotions and it impacts them even more when they're able to find that safe place for themselves to release and to feel it, to be present towards it. But most of the time, you know, it's, they might feel it a little bit or not at all. And then they go to the next thing. So I want to go back to your story because I think it's really nice to use it as a case study for the audience to understand the process. So when you realize that you had the fear and the sadness First of all, how did you arrive at that realization? And then how did you process those emotions or release them? Honestly, it took me a while without even realizing any of this. I mean, I lived in the States. Going to a therapist was pretty normal. And so I went into a talk therapy session. um, And that was when I started realizing, oh, wow, the things that I I experienced I just thought we're normal, right? And until someone's like, no, no, (laughs) that's not normal. And you start thinking like, oh, wow, okay. Like, that's really interesting. And so I did work with a, a marriage and family therapist for like a few sessions, like two or three sessions. Um, and that really created a lot of mindfulness around my experiences. And then Later on, it was just, again, going through that. That was an opening, so to speak, of that emotional awareness. And then I started exploring the, the world of wellness. And then I started trying out different things. And uh, what resonated with me very strongly was energy healing. And it wasn't until later I realized... I had gone a full circle um, in a way because when I was young, I grew up doing Qigong, which is a type of energy healing, a very different form of energy healing, but it is a form of energy healing. And 
it wasn't until that later realization in my in my 20s that energy healing is again here and a wonderful tool for me to explore again. Can you describe what that channeling of energy looks like? So imagine rays of light. You know what? The best way to think of this is looking at the sun. The sun emits sun rays. When we go out and we bathe in the sun, we are absorbing the sun from head to toe. That's pretty much how I see channeled energy healing. I see light coming through that energy reserve, coming through the the crowns of our heads and moving into the body. And as a facilitator, um, it moves through my body and outwards from my palms. And so wherever I place my palms, that's where the energy healing is occurring. And how do you do the body scan? Because when I had the session with you, you started off with saying, okay, let me just scan your body. What does that mean? It does take a lot of practice and some people resonate with this method and some people don't. Everyone's very sensitive in their own ways. For me, that's how, that's how I work. That's what works for me. And for me, it's just feeling a person's energy field and seeing if there's any imbalances It might be a temperature difference. It might be hardness, a heaviness. It might feel like there's just a massive rock. Like, and, and that's obvious to me. Like, okay, there's something there. And from there, after getting an overview, then I see like, okay, like this is where I think it would be best for a person to work on first. And maybe their body is like screaming louder on one end versus the other, right? And so it's like, okay, well, it's obvious I need to go there first. Is this something that you can learn or it's something that you're born with? Um, so Reiki is something that anyone can learn. You don't need to be naturally born or gifted to facilitate Reiki. What you do need are Reiki attunements. That's basically an energetic process to give you that access key card I talked to you about. You, so what is the attunement? Can you break it down a little bit? Um, it's a very special ritual that only Reiki master teachers are able to facilitate to attune someone to Reiki. Um, so in Reiki 1, there's several attunements, and that allows a person to um, have basic access to Reiki for self-healing or to work with their loved ones. And then there's Reiki 2, and that um, allows someone to access, let's say, upgrades of Reiki. Uh, so they, they have some more advanced tools that they can use uh, to facilitate Reiki even more. They can um, work with people on a professional capacity. And it also allows us to do something called distant healing. I like to joke and say nomads, you know, digital nomads just need Wi-Fi to be able to do their work. Whereas we, as energy healing practitioners, we just need to connect to energy. And uh, so we can do it anytime, anywhere. Um, and so distance healing was a concept that I couldn't quite understand for a long time. I didn't practice it for the first part of my career, actually, because I felt like I really needed to wrap my head around this one. Yeah. Um, How does but that now work? I do it like every night with, with people and I can, I see how it literally is just the same as working with someone in person. It took me a longer time to get on board and it took me a longer time to get acquainted with the process. Exactly. What, what were some of your doubts in the beginning and then what did you realize later on that made the it The doubts work? in the beginning is like, how on earth can, can anyone receive, you know, healing from when they're not seeing each other? Uh, I was so used to working with someone in person and laying my hands on that person but later on, I experimented with working with the same person in person and via distance just to see if there were any differences. And over time, again, like I'm quite a 
Reiki geek here. And so I realize it does work. It really does work. How do you know when it's working? When I'm able to connect with that person in the same way as I would in a physical session, if I'm able to feel someone's emotions from a distance and be able to tell you what I told you, you know, in that mini session we just did, but from a distance, I didn't want to offer that until I was certain that this is something I know I can do and that I know um, that can be of service to the person. So in a session, what kind of outcome do we expect? Ah, okay. So it depends. It does vary case by case. You know, someone who is processing deep sadness is going to react quite differently from someone who's had insomnia for a lifetime. Okay, if we're doing Reiki, generally most people feel really calm and relaxed after. Usually for the rest of the day, sometimes it can last for 48 hours. The Reiki energy can work with a person continuously after a session for up to two days. But things happen. You know, you can easily get agitated from a boss who keeps calling you or um, someone rushing you for a, 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 a deadline or there being a fire to put out. You know, that's going to affect that zen you might be feeling from a Reiki session, right? But when I do like intuitive healing, like I said earlier, it is three to time, five times more effective than Reiki. And it actually lasts three to five days as opposed to two days with Reiki. And for some people, it might be continuous release of their emotions um, or blocks and continuing to open pathways in their body. Sometimes, not saying all the time, um, some people feel lots of gas coming through their body. It's so funny because some people are like, well, it's because I didn't eat, you know, I'm starving. And so I'm feeling grumbles. I'm like, yeah, but you don't feel grumbles in your chest. Like the grumbles should be coming from your stomach. Right. Um, and for me, I've gone quite acquainted to hearing the difference between whether it's like a hunger gas or like a, like an actual release, an emotional release type of gas. So sometimes it might be coming through that form and some people are burping even through the session or they might be having like gas, feeling gas and gases like gas bubbles are like popping in the, in the midsection or chest areas, wherever um, there's release, sometimes even on the back, the kidneys and stuff like that. It's really amazing. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes feel, some people do feel sharp pains moving out of their body. Um, and it's short, you know, it, it, it happens, but they know it's like a, a good pain. It's a good release and it goes away and, and that's it. I've had people throw up after sessions. I've had people had diarrhea after sessions, but just think about how long that waste, that crap has been in the body. And it's the first time maybe, uh, that your body has been able to do a deep release. Uh, imagine going on your first cleanse or your first detox. Like, yeah, of course. Shit's flying out. So it's the same thing. It's emotional waste that has taken up space in our physical body that needs to release. And it continues to release after a session for as long as your body needs it to release. Again, it's not up to me. Okay, three days. Like, no, it's not like that. It's your body. Your body gets to decide. Your body facilitates a healing process. Do certain body parts store certain emotions or it's really random? It does in terms, in a, in a metaphysical way. There's actually, there's a modality called uh, metaphysical anatomy as well. Not necessarily all the time, like 100%. Uh, this emotion sticks here, but most of the time it's, it's, uh, let's say they have their own emotional residences. Yeah. So for example, <laughs> and, they, and, and they might like that, uh, there. So for example, sadness and anger, again, that is often seen around the lower part of our bodies, uh, for women around the ovaries you know, it creates hormonal imbalances, again, such as PCOS. 
I've come across people who have fibroids, which the cause is still medically unknown. Going back to your question, most people do, I would say 90% of the people uh, feel good, feel lighter. If the releases continue to happen, it's usually pretty gentle. If there is a lot of toxic waste, then there is a possibility that, you know, you might have a little bit more of an extreme release, which would be gas or diarrhea or sometimes migraines. I've also seen a lot of people who have, they just feel exhausted where they can't even press an elevator button. They're so tired. It usually only lasts like for a few hours or if you, you know, if you get a session later in the day for the rest of the night. And that's just an invitation for your body to just continue resting. One example is I worked with a man recently in his mid-40s, super healthy. He is a very, very successful man. He does very well in his career. He is a triathlete. Um, he trains every day. He loves he loves exercising. Is a he competes in triathlons for pleasure because that's how much he enjoys the sports. Um, he's married with a lovely wife. He has kids. Um, he works standard hours. He, you know, he's high enough that he doesn't have to work too much overtime. Uh, he's a wonderful uh, work-life balance. He eats well, um, sleeps well, trains well. So overall you would think like, wow, you know, this person has a pretty decent standard of living, right? It's pretty healthy. About half a year ago, a little over half a year ago, he randomly had a heart attack. It was out of nowhere. And, you know, he went to the hospital and the doctors took every scan. They, they just couldn't find what was wrong with him. His results looked beautiful other than his heart rate. And they just couldn't figure it out. And uh, he was curious and, you know, he wanted to explore more and say like, oh, why would I have had a heart attack as a pretty healthy mid 40 year old man? And the doctors drew the conclusion of it being stress induced. In my opinion, I think everything is related to stress, right? <laughs> like what is it stress induced these days? Um, he was referred to me and we um, met up once we did a session and we realized again, without, you know, I don't want to go into the details obviously, cause I uh, do value client confidentiality, but there, there were a lot of repressed emotions in his body that he never recognized, didn't realize were there, um, had zero awareness of. And in fact, it was so blocked that he was in complete denial and thinking everything in life is fine. He was also a skeptic. I work with a lot of skeptics he was, uh, and fair enough. And I, and, and I think that's part of the process because honestly, Reiki and energy healing, even though it's arguably ancient, it's a pretty new modality in this world today. And after I shared with him what I found and it wasn't until just a little while, a few minutes later, he, he really sat down and he processed them in and then he came back and he was like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> he, he, he didn't quite recognize them, but he took a little time to think about it. He started thinking about experiences that he had earlier on, experiences that he wasn't so proud of. And yeah, that, that drew up some pretty heavy emotions that he accumulated, negative emotions. And uh, that contributed to the stress let's say. Um, but that contributed to the heart attack. And we did about five sessions together. Uh, we still meet, uh, once in a while, like every four to six weeks for what I call a maintenance session. So yeah, it's been about half a year. He feels a lot lighter. He said, um, he feels, um, like a lot of weight has been lifted from him, uh, which to him is still crazy because he didn't he really didn't really realize that it was they were there from the beginning. He feels more clear. He feels more authentic. He feels more like he's able to live more presently. 
and from the heart. Sometimes it's really scary to dig up those emotions. Totally. In his case, like his life was perfect. Why would he want to open that can of worms? Absolutely. And he really didn't have a reason to until he had this heart attack. That is literally the same thing for most people. Like, why, why would we? And to go on this hopefully journey of self-growth and self-discovery and self-healing would be, I think, is highly beneficial for anyone, regardless of what state you're in. When I moved to Hong Kong almost nine years ago, I think it was just the beginning of the trend of yoga. Like yoga was just starting to be available more so in Hong Kong. Um, the term gluten-free barely existed. There were barely any sort of like health concept stores. Now you go to an MTR and there's like green dot dot selling organic vegetables for $28. Energy healing. Yeah. You know, there's Tai Chi and Qigong. That's been here for ages, of course. Concept of Reiki, what well, did exist in Hong Kong, but I will definitely say there's definitely been a lot more um, Reiki practitioners. The Reiki community itself has grown. The wellness is trending all over the world. And we're just in a wonderful time right now to accept that invitation into uh, self-healing and self-discovery and self-growth. And I think it's wonderful. Definitely. I think if we just ignore it and suppress it, you know, it will show up somehow eventually. So yeah. better not run away from it. And sometimes it's too late, yeah. right? And that suck, right? So why not start earlier? And I'm sure that's also why you run your podcast and bring these amazing people on your show so that you can share, educate more. Do we have to believe in Reiki or energy healing for it to work? No. I, again, I work with, a, I've worked with a lot of skeptics before here and there. I still, I still have, um, skeptics, uh, walk through my door and that's completely fine. No, but it certainly helps if you're more open to the process, you're more open-minded to it, um, because it allows the body to not fight with the ego as much and just really be open to experience and possibly, you know, hopefully feel more, uh, or take more from the experience, whether that might just be feeling, um, I mean, most people fall asleep in their first session. I don't think there's any shame in that, but so many, especially new clients are like, I'm so sorry. I probably snored so loudly. I don't know if I drooled. <laughs> it's absolutely fine. I love the fact that your body is able to respond in this way. And it's clear that that's what your body needs. Yeah. Like you don't have to believe in the practice. If anything, it might be, you know, you take away a really nice high quality nap. <laughs> um, but at least you, you know, you're trying something, but I will say, of course, it's so much more than a nap. It's so much more, but it's hard for anyone to tell just after one session, right? It could be an expensive nap. <laughs> it could be a very expensive nap, but it also might've been the best nap in, of your life, right? Is energy healing used as a complementary treatment yes. or can it be used independently? Both. Okay. Yes. So um, Reiki and intuitive energy healing that I practice. I can't say it for everyone because there's just too many forms of energy healing out there right now. And I don't know what forms of energy healing they are, but for the most part, what I can say, uh, at least from what I offer, the energy healing practices are safe and complementary uh, to all therapies. And they also do work well independently. Energy healing is in a unregulated yes. realm. Yes. How do we choose the right practitioner? How do we know what we're doing if we're new to this? First of all, you want to make sure that a person is properly uh, certified with the right credentials. So if you are working with a Reiki practitioner, uh, that person must be certified at least of level two Reiki. With who is this? specific organization there are specific lineages there are uh the, the traditional yuzui reiki lineage and there's a whole family tree there so if you're able to find a person that does ultimately connect with dr yuzui or his first three pupils 
you're in the right space. A lot of Reiki has kind of branched off into its own form. That is, uh, in my personal opinion, a little bit more man-made. And what do you mean so, by that, man-made? No, but like, I mean, people merge their practices and they use the name Reiki. Let's say crystal Reiki. I mean, that's very general, right? Like, what does crystal Reiki really mean? Am I placing a piece of crystal on someone or is this person channeling crystal energy or is it me wearing a crystal bracelet and facilitating? I, I don't know, right? It, it could be anything. It could be someone taking a bath with a bunch of crystals. Is that considered crystal healing, right? If someone's taking a bath with crystals and applying Reiki on themselves, is that crystal Reiki? So it's really just that a lot of terminology has been created. That's why I say man-made, but it's no longer pure traditional Reiki. What a practice is traditional using a Reiki. It's pure Reiki in its original form. And also attunements, Reiki attunements, which qualifies a person to uh, access Reiki and therefore be able to facilitate Reiki. I feel like I could get a little bit of backlash here, but attunements have to be done in person. It's impossible to do attunements from a distance. What I can tell you from experience and having taken Reiki twice from two different pupils under the same lineage that Reiki attunements have to be done in person. And that's how I teach Reiki. Um, that's how I, I also facilitate attunements. So it's best if a person who is looking for a Reiki practitioner can somehow verify. How do we verify without, that? You could just ask a person, the Reiki practitioner, and hopefully that person can answer openly. You know, the second thing also to look out for is does that per person make you feel comfortable? Again, you're allowing someone to work on you on an energetic level. It's a very personal experience. So you want to feel somewhat comfortable, right? When you're entrusting someone to work on you. What can go wrong though? Like if you choose someone that is not properly trained? Um, it's quite dangerous. Someone who's not qualified, who's not properly trained could take energy from you. They could accidentally release um, their own negative emotions onto a person. You could suddenly feel sick, right? Because you've taken on a lot of that person's negative emotions, right? And that in your body can't take it and it manifested in, in bad health. Are there any other thoughts that you would like to share with the audience on energy healing or anything else I've missed? I just love for all of us to be a little bit more mindful and not shrug off emotions from an experience so easily because the sooner we do some sort of real-time healing around it again whether it's through you know energy work or not the more it will benefit you and your body in the long run there's no need to why do we keep accumulating why do we keep suppressing more and more when it just becomes a bigger pot to to work on later on, why don't we take care of it now and, and heal ourselves now? If only we can be a little bit more mindful of our emotions and not shrug them off or bury them under a carpet, it will be so insanely beneficial for us in the long run. What is your idea of wellness and how can we embody it? My idea of wellness is uh, a balanced, holistic well-being that includes mindfulness, self-growth, expansion in the consciousness, healing on a mental, emotional, physical, energetic, and emotional level, and to feel balanced and whole, and from there also be free of limitations that may be in our way from being our best selves and to continue being able to live authentically and wholeheartedly. And if we can do that, then yes, that's, that's what I would consider a healthy, a very healthy well-being and a very beautiful journey in the world of wellness. And where can our audience find you? 
Um, so I have a website. It's Corey Chu, C-O-R-I-E-C-H-U.com. I'm located, my studio is located in Soho in Central off Lyndhurst Terrace. And so, yeah, if you have any questions, you can always visit my website or drop me an email. Your social media handles? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook under Corey Chu Healing. Again, it's Corey with one R. Uh, so C-O-R-I-E-C-H-U and the word healing. Um, and website is CoreyChu.com. Thank you so much again, Corey. It's been wonderful having you on the show today. Thank you so much, Donna. The show notes of this episode are on my website, www.interested.blog. And if you enjoy this podcast, share it with a friend 